Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, February 28th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What are the most unpleasant and annoying sounds in the world? That's what Trevor Cox, professor of acoustic engineering at the University of Salford in England, set out to discover a few years ago. Now, scientists agree that unpleasant sounds fall into two distinct categories. First, there's annoying sounds like, uh, like incessant car alarms and snoring, partly because they're intrusive, but also because they disrupt our thought processes or our sleep. But then second, there are noises that trigger an immediate negative visceral, physical reaction within us. Nails on the chalkboard or squeaking styrofoam, this type of things. So here is Professor Cox's top 11 list of the most annoying sounds, and he did this scientifically, all right? Number 11, fingernails on a chalkboard. Now, you might be surprised that this annoying sound is so low on the list. In fact, it's the 11th out of 11. Well, I think in the, in the age of dry erase boards, you don't find too many chalkboards around, and so people don't know how annoying that can be, right? Number 10, chewing with your mouth open. I picked the best picture I could find for that. Now, apples were mentioned as the most annoying food to be chewing with your mouth open, though someone who will remain nameless has told me on numerous occasions how my open mouth gum chewing can be very, very annoying as well. Number nine, a mains hum. This is that annoying buzz sound that you sometimes hear coming from speakers. And for all of us audiophiles here today, it occurs precisely at 60 hertz in the United States. Number eight, people arguing. Psychologists tell us that uh, for some of us, the more we've heard people argue and fight, like say from our own families, especially in childhood, then the more visceral this sound is to us and the more grating and annoying. Number seven, flatulence. Yes, I remember when I was in elementary school and I went into our school library and they had one of those unabridged dictionaries, those huge ones, and my friend said, go look up the word fart, right? So you look it up, it said a minor explosion between the legs. I thought that was the greatest, right? That fed me for like a whole year of laughter in junior high. Needless to say, women found this sound much more annoying than men did. I wonder why, right? Number six, a poorly played violin. Now, the violin is one of my favorite instruments in all of the orchestra. And when done well, it is so beautiful. Now, I didn't, I wasn't ever in the band. And I especially wasn't around, like, say, elementary bands. So I don't know how grading a poorly played violin. But I'll take the professor's word on this one. Number five, a squeaky hinge or wheel. Now, it could be a door hinge, it could be a teeter-totter, or some wheel that just really needs to be greased. This constant scraping sound was irritating enough to make the top five in this list. Number four, trains scraping on the tracks. Now, this is raw metal scraping on metal. And if you've ever lived near a subway or a train station, you will never forget this sound. Number three, a baby crying. 
The study didn't say where the baby was crying, like if it was during a movie or at dinner when you're out at a restaurant or et cetera. But like uh, women with the flatulent sound, it was men who distinctively drove this to such a high place in the rankings. I guess women have a little bit more compassion for our younger ones. Number two, microphone feedback. Not only is this annoying, but it's physically painful when you hear it. And we've all heard it even in church. Any ideas what the number one most annoying sound is? Are you ready? Vomiting. Now, some will tell you that it's the mental picture that we have when we hear this sound that makes it the most annoying, but you have to admit that the sound of someone being sick tends to elicit a similar feeling in yourself just by hearing it, right? Let me move off this picture. Welcome! To the third week in Lent, uh, our 40 days of preparation for the coming uh, uh, celebration of Easter. Lent does not encompass the, the, the Sundays. Those are considered as many Easter's, many celebrations. This Lenten season, we're looking at Jesus' encounter with a few significant women. And today, we get a woman in a parable that Jesus told. Parables are simple stories with deep meaning. And our reading for today is deceptively simple. At least it seems so. It didn't make Professor Cox's top 11 list of the most annoying sounds in the world, but I'd venture to say that in the eyes of the judge in today's parable, this widow's constant pleading must have been quite grating on his nerves. So we're going to go back to the start of our reading and take it verse by verse. If you want to grab your your Bibles or open your phones or reach underneath the pew and grab the red uh, pew Bible, we're going to pick up in the Gospel of Luke, third book, In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, beginning at verse 18. Luke 18, verse 1. Let's see. There we go. Verse 1. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. Now, it's interesting, this, Jesus told lots of parables, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John have all kinds of stories similar that Jesus told, but this is only found in Luke's gospel. And we know that it's going to have something to do with prayer and with not giving up or, or not being discouraged. And we're going to come back to this verse at the end of our message today, I promise. But for now, let's move on. Verse 2. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. Now, the role of a judge in biblical days was similar to a role that we think about today. They had to render judgments, they had to uphold the law, they had to settle disputes, they had to restore justice. Now, there are passages in the Old Testament, in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy that speak about upholding justice, about not accepting bribes, about not showing favoritism when you're rendering decisions. In the book of 2 Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat of Judah appointed judges for the land, and he commissioned them with these words. He said, Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care of what you do, for there is no perversion of justice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or the taking of bribes. And the Old Testament specifically mentions that judges were to be careful in giving justice, especially to the weakest of the community, widows, orphans, foreigners. So in the biblical tradition, to say, here is a judge who neither fears God nor has respect for people, this is pretty much a really bad judge. We get that from the very beginning. 
He doesn't fear God, meaning that God holds no place in his life. He doesn't recognize God's authority. So no one can say, for God's sake, judge, you have to do this. Because he's like, I don't care. And he doesn't respect people. Means he's not influenced by a person's position or power or authority or weakness. He doesn't care about what people think. Scholar Ibrahim Said remarks that these were the two standards that people appealed for help in the Middle East. They would either make a theological or a personal claim. For God's sake or for my sake, please. But this judge will have none of that. Kenneth E. Bailey's book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, was especially helpful to me this week as I was researching this challenging parable. And he mentions that the literal reading of Luke 18, verse 2, is that the judge felt no shame before people. Bailey said that this is one of the most sharpest criticisms that that can be raised against an adult in the Middle East, even today, that they feel no shame. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Jeremiah had a scathing critique against prophets and priests of Israel. Jeremiah 8, 12 says this. They have acted shamefully. They have done abhorrent things, yet they do not feel shame. They cannot be made to blush. That's exactly the kind of judge that we're dealing with in today's parable. Verse 3. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. Now, in the Old Testament, the symbol of the most vulnerable adult in all of society was the widow. Widows could not inherit their husband's property. There was no organized social welfare system in place back then. Nor did widows really have any means for getting jobs, even if they wanted to work. Being a widow was one of the most difficult situations that you could face in life. And because of this vulnerability, widows were frequently victimized in biblical times. But here's the kicker. In Middle Eastern society, women didn't go to court. Men went to court on their behalf. So this widow, in the parable, she is utterly alone. There's no father, uncle, brother, nephew, or son to speak on her behalf. She is all she has. And she comes to the judge alone. Bailey said something interesting, though, uh, when it came to the issue of chivalry in Middle Eastern society. He says, in cases of extreme danger, women can do things that men dare not do. He mentions two specific times uh, when he was living in Lebanon, um, and he witnessed this firsthand. He was there from while the Civil War was happening in in Lebanon, from the mid-70s to the early 90s. And he said, at one point, uh, radical militants uh, were kidnapping male Westerners. So despite the fact that he taught at a seminary there in Lebanon, in Beirut, it wasn't safe for him to walk even the four blocks from his house to the school where he taught at. So he said he placed himself under house arrest and got permission for his students to come to his living room for classes. For four months, he couldn't leave his house for fear of being kidnapped. But his wife and his daughter, they could go. They could go and buy food. They can do banking. They could move around freely and do whatever they needed to do for the family to survive. Why? Because women weren't considered a threat at all. Chivalry in the Middle East determined that they would not harm the women. There was another time before he put himself under house arrest. Bailey says that a particularly violent militia had its headquarters a few blocks 
from where he lived. So whenever he walked past, he made sure that he kept his head down. He did not look at the heavily armed guards that were standing out in front of that house, nor did he even think about engaging in conversation with them. But there was one older woman dressed in the traditional long black dress and a black head covering. She would go regularly to that building and she would stand right out in front and she would point her finger and she would scream at them, go away, you're not welcome here, we don't want you in our neighborhood. And he said that the guards would, would hear her, they would smile, they would address her politely, they would tell her, don't be too upset, auntie. Had any man done that, Kenneth said he would have been shot right away. But because of chivalry, because of the understanding, she was safe to air her grievances without fear of reprisal. So thinking back to our parable for today, in the same manner, if a man had come day after day to pester the judge in our story, surely he would have been thrown out of the court. But this widow has some leeway that no man could possibly have, as long as she keeps up her courage and her persistence, which is exactly what she does. Verse 4. For a while, the judge refused. But later, he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. So at the start of verse 4, this woman is getting nowhere. We can assume uh, uh, that the judge is refusing to hear her case. Now, the way Jesus tells this story, it's probably because she was in the right, that her case was solid. But for some reason, the judge won't hear it. Maybe she hasn't offered a bribe for him to take. Or maybe it's in his best interest to allow her opponent to have his way in this case. We don't know. But this woman is relentless. Day after day after day, she keeps coming, always crying out for justice, always raising her voice loud enough so the judge can hear her, hoping beyond hope that one day he'll hear her case. And eventually, he gives in. Kenneth Bailey retells uh, the account of a 19th century Western visitor to Iraq, a man by the name of Tristram. And he had wrote this down, and many scholars had picked up on it, and it sounds like he could have been talking about our very same parable. He says this, It happened in the ancient city of Nisbus, Mesopotamia. And he writes, Immediately on entering the gates of the city, I saw on one side there stood a prison, with its windows barred through which prisoners thrust their arms and begged for alms. Opposite was a large open hall, the court of justice of the place. On a slightly raised dais or platform, at the further end sat the Qadi, or the judge, half buried in cushions, and around him squatted various secretaries and other notables. The populace crowded into the rest of the hall, dozens of voices clamoring at once, each claiming that his cause should be the first heard that day. The more prudent litigants joined not in the fray, but held whispered communications with the secretaries and passed bribes, euphemistically called fees, into the hands of one or another. When the greed of the underlings was satisfied, one of them would whisper to the cadi, who would promptly call such and such a case. It seemed to be ordinarily taken for granted that judgment would go to the litigant who had paid the highest fee. But meantime, the poor, a poor woman on the skirts of the crowd perpetually interrupted proceedings with her loud cries for justice. She was sternly bidden to be silent and reproachfully told that, you came, you come here every day. So I will, she cried out, until the cadi hears me. At length, at the end of a suit, the judge impatiently demanded, 
What does that woman want? Her story was soon told. Her only son had been taken for a soldier, and she was alone and could not till her piece of the ground. Yet the tax collector had forced her to pay the fees from which, as a lone widow, she could be exempt. The judge asked a few questions and said, let her be exempt. Thus, her perseverance was rewarded. But had she the money to pay a fee to the clerk, she might have been excused long before today. That seems just like the parable that we're reading about today, doesn't it? In the end, in order to get her to shut up, the judge does his job and grants her justice. The end of the parable. But Jesus isn't finished. Verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjudge says, unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. The Jewish rabbis, the the religious leaders of Judaism, would sometimes use a technique called from the light to the heavy. And this is what Jesus is doing here. If this unjust judge will relent and offer justice to the persistent widow, that's the light, How much more will persistence pay off when we kneel before a compassionate God? That's the heavy. God is not like this unjust and harsh judge. Not at all. He is our loving Father who cares deeply for his children. Verse 8, And yet, says Jesus, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite contemporary authors, comments that this statement by Jesus makes you think that He doesn't seem to know many persistent widows, or at least not enough of them. She writes, Then, as now, most people prayed like they brushed their teeth, once in the morning and once at night, as part of their spiritual hygiene program. Ain't that the truth, right? Most of us, myself included, are not persistent in our prayers, at least not like this widow in our story today. But is Jesus really telling us that we have to annoy God into giving us whatever we want? I mean, if we whine and nag and constantly bother him, then God will be like our magic genie in the sky and grant us our every women desire. Is that the message of the parable? Well, let's go back to that very first verse that I said we'd come back to. Chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but why put the word then at the beginning of the sentence? Why not just say, Jesus told them a parable? Well, maybe there was something before the then, and it was continuing a theme. Well, then I invite us to look back a few verses to chapter 17, verse 20. Once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, And he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. So when is everything going to be right in this world? That's a question we still ask today, right? When is God going to change things? Pick up a paper, turn on the news, search the internet, you're bound to find all kinds of contemporary stories about racism, genocide, xenophobia, human trafficking. 
senseless violence and bloodshed, poverty, hunger, rampant diseases. I mean, this is not the way God intends this world to be, is it? That's why Jesus came to earth, so that we'd see his life and know what the kingdom of God was all about. And he modeled how we should live and love, how we should forgive and reach out, comfort, empathize, offer grace, and challenge injustice around us. Once, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming. 2,000 years ago, Jesus told his followers, it's not always going to be easy to see the kingdom of God among us. And for the next 16 verses in Luke's 17th chapter, Jesus gives a dark account about how things will become before he comes again in final victory. It's not going to be all butterflies and rainbows and unicorns, Jesus says. Life is full of ups and downs, and we've all experienced those challenging times. Those times when we or someone very near to us has had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or has experienced what the ancients called the dark night of the soul. What do we do during those times? Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. Do you see how much more power this parable takes on when it's fit within the larger context? Jesus knew what was coming. He knew he would soon be leaving his disciples. He was going to be arrested, wrongly accused, tried and convicted. He would be crucified and buried. And things would look pretty bleak for his followers. But fear not, he said, God has a plan. And Jesus will rise again. Hope will not be defeated. Love wins. And it may not look like it at the time, but God is working for good in the world, says Jesus. So don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Keep praying. Keep working to make this world the place that God intended it to be. Friends, this parable isn't about how to get God to give us whatever we want. This is a parable about the kingdom of God. It's a parable of how life should be when we live the way God intended. And it's a parable about justice. Because there are a lot of situations in the world, even here in the Antelope Valley today, where justice is lacking. This is a parable about our need to fall on our knees every day and to be praying that God's kingdom come, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we do not serve an unjust and corrupt judge. We serve a God who loves us, who cares deeply for us, who wants us not to be afraid at whatever may come our way. Emmanuel, God is with us. So, my brothers and sisters, let us trust and believe that God is working for good in this world, that God is seeking to bring about justice, and that each and every one of us have a role to play in helping that justice come about. May we, like this persistent widow, not grow weary in lifting our prayers to the heavens every day. Our prayers are not like the annoying sounds of fingernails on a chalkboard or microphone feedback or even crying babies in the middle of a movie to God. God loves to hear our prayers. So let us persist in praying for when we stick at it, when our hearts regularly seek after the heart of God, when we allow our hearts to break for the things that break God's heart, when that begins to shape our prayers and we persist like the widow, powerful things happen. Powerful change takes place in our life and in the world around us. May we follow in the persistent widow's footsteps as men and women of faith. Amen.